This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, we're still in the NCAA tournament week. Somehow, someway, Dan, we have once again pulled off what most thought to be impossible. We are now in the Sweet 16, um, still have a very, very small chance of winning a national title, but a larger one than we did before, so I'd say progress. Yeah, I mean, I think we were all thrilled to make the tournament at all, and then we were pretty happy about getting into the field of 64 by beating Arizona State. And then we were pretty thrilled about beating TCU. Like, after that, I was like, okay, well, this has been a, a rousing success. We've gotten our young guys some tournament experience. We get to, you know, probably get, a, get it handed to us by a, a very good Michigan State team. And uh, as it so turns out, Michigan State had literally no idea how to beat Syracuse. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the script, the script's pretty clear, um, especially this specific Syracuse team when you have seven players who, uh, who really see the court. And, uh, you know, five guys who were completely healthy. Um, it seems like it's easy to say, okay, just send it down low, get their big men in foul trouble, then um, you should be able to go from there. Also, for some reason, all these teams don't realize, too, is that if you just keep hammering the middle, then it'll have to pull in the zone, and that'll free up, uh, you know, your outside shooters for, for shots along the perimeter. But instead, every single team seems to be falling for the exact thing that mid-majors usually try against us and, and smaller teams even like cornell colgate like try against us just to at least scare us for a little bit um in our annual matchups with those schools which is just you know try to shoot the lights out from three but there's 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 minimal guarantees that those threes are going to go in meanwhile there's a much larger chance that you're going to um at the very least get yourself to the line um you know if, if you're going to um you know attack the paint a little bit yeah, it really is mind-boggling to me, especially with a team that, you know, has a has a Hall of Fame coach and is, you know, not as much as recently, but has a, a history of being a good tournament team. I know. And, and they made seven Final Fours. Right. You don't just lose that knowledge, especially in, like, what has been, like, a 20-year stretch. Yeah. And, and I know that, like, preparing for the zone on, on like, basically a day's rest is, is a much different uh, animal than, like, if you get a full week for it. Um 
But you would think that someone like Tom Izzo, like, knows the basics. He's watched some Syracuse games. Like, there's a huge difference between what you watch a team like North Carolina, which ate it up a lot this year, or even Duke, uh, which, you know, didn't didn't shoot the ball well, but, like, they know what they're doing against it most times. This year was actually one of their worst efforts against it. Or, like, a team like, uh, you know, the ones that struggle just bomb out from three, and, like, occasionally you'll have a game where someone uh, gets super hot and drops 30, um, and they can just score over the top of it, but you're you're way more likely to find success from the middle out and especially when you have a player like Miles Bridges, like he seemed so tailor made to to take the zone apart from the middle, or even uh, a uh, Jaron Jackson, who is probably uh, a top ten, maybe even a top five pick. You know, he only played fifteen minutes. And he had four shots. Like he's a, a seven footer who can shoot from from three. Like there is no reason why he couldn't have decimated this thing from inside out as well. Um, and instead, like they took thirty seven threes and hit only eight. Like that's crazy. It's crazy, especially after the first half. It was still obviously a, a game. Like it's not like Syracuse ever got way ahead. Like they're mostly playing from behind, and you know, Mission State was actually in the lead at the half after that stupid three pointer was banked in. So it just doesn't make any sense that you couldn't um, adjust even after like a, a shaky first half. And yet, Michigan State came out of halftime and started to, and just kept on doing the same exact things that weren't working. So, you know, one would think when you're shooting twenty five percent from the floor, you you go to something else, especially when. You know, we all make fun of those segments in every single Syracuse game that's about, you know, how to beat the zone. But oftentimes they have, like, generally good ideas. And I don't I think half those analysts are as good a coach as, uh, as Tom Izzo. So uh, it was pretty mystifying. If you look at, like, just the raw stats outside of Michigan shooting, the rebounds, uh, Syracuse shooting. Recipe for a win. <laughs> everything else. Like, when you out-rebound a team by, by what, 21? Like, you should probably beat them. <laughs> and it just didn't happen. It was a, an absolute calamity to watch Michigan State, especially down the stretch when they just literally couldn't find a bucket at all and all you had was was Miles Bridges chucking shots. He was what, four for eighteen from the game. Like that's that's horrible. So it was it it was really unbelievable to watch um Bayheim and and obviously we all give Bayheim the credit he's due, but to watch him just so out coach Tom Izzo was was pretty jarring. Well, out coach Tom Izzo too good, with a good reputation in Bayheim. I was saying, I'll coach him, too, with a walk-on on the floor for the last six and a half minutes. Yeah, and credit to Braden Bear. Like, he played – I almost want to go back and watch the last six minutes and just, like, see the possessions. I don't think Bear passed it. <laughs> like, I, I'm pretty sure he – He never touched he the ball. He locked up someone on the on floor off- the whole time. Yeah. On offense, he never touched the ball. On defense, he actually did a great job of – I think he missed, a def- he missed an assignment on the first time around, and after that, you know, he was in on loose balls. He was – you know, really kind of playing some nice defense. And, I mean, it's not to say that, that, that he was our best option there um, with our full complement of players. Obviously not. But he acquitted himself well. He was ready for the moment. Um, he's kind of been prepared for this for a month and a half now to jump in at a moment's notice. And, and yeah, I mean, Beheim kind of ran rings around Izzo. Izzo who, you know, saw saw a, a bad three-point shooting first half and said, we're going to double down on that in the second. Like, I know it's easier said than done just beating the zone, but when you have that many future NBA players as Michigan State does, when you have that much inside size as Michigan State does, it shouldn't have been much trouble uh, to beat Syracuse, even a very good defensive Syracuse team like this one is. Yeah, and part of it's probably that we, you know, see the Syracuse team, so we've seen, like, all the losses. So, like, you, you feel like you should be able to find 60 points out there. And I know the zone is very good. It's now, I think, fifth in, in Ken Palm uh, defensive, defensive efficiency. But 
it, I don't think it's like the best zone we've ever run. Like it's up there, but it's, I don't think it's as good as like the the 2010 or even the 2013 zone. It's still very good, and it's it's it is really funny just to see how mystifying it is. Um, unfortunately, I don't think it will be very mystifying team that runs it uh, almost as much as we do now. And has already seen a slightly different uh, take on it. And has already seen it this year. Granted, they didn't do that much against it, but um, I do think Duke will be a much different challenge uh, than Michigan State. Um, but like. We beat Michigan State. I don't think many realistic people thought that that would be a big thing. Uh, but I, we have a shot against Duke. Like, you can't just rule – after everything that's happened in the NCAA tournament, you definitely can't rule us out, even if, you know, you only give us, what, like a, an 8 eight or 10% chance. Like, I'll take it at this point. Yeah, I think 538's at 16. And I, I still think that that's, you know, that's making on a lot of things falling right. I think, you know, you look at the earlier matchup with Duke and the Blue Devils – um, obviously, were able to exploit us inside. They were able to hit enough um, from outside. They really didn't get to the free throw line. Um, Syracuse shot 26 threes, which makes no sense. Um, and, and I said it afterward on on the site. You know, like that's that that shot selection what was poor at best. And in Syracuse, if you're getting into, especially early, um, as it was in that game, um, if you're getting into a three point shooting contest with any team, um, you're you're not going to win. Um, Syracuse just simply doesn't have the outside shooters. They have guys who can hit threes in spots, um, and we already know who those guys are. Brissett, Battle, Howard um, can all get hot to some certain extent and hit you know three or four, but that's the thing. As somebody, uh, somebody getting hot for us from three um, hits three or four in a game versus some other teams. You know, you saw earlier in the year there's been other teams who I think it was, oh, it was uh, Kansas I was looking at the other day. Uh, you know, Dante Graham um, hit or sorry, Devontae, I always get Dante Graham and Devontae Grantham mixed up, but yeah, the guy for Kansas <laughs> ended up hitting, I think, what was it, like 7 of 12 or 7 of 15 from 3, um, that's what getting hot looks like for other teams, so if you challenge any, t- any opponent for Syracuse to, you know, get into that sort of game with us, um, they're probably going to fall, if I had to guess, and, and, and you know, I think these past three games, too, have proven that we really want to get into about as much of a rock fight as possible, that that's our, our best chance at winning, um, and it's our best chance of beating a team that is you know, significantly more talented than we are, especially in a team like Duke that is not only significantly more talented, but is also uh, uniquely positioned to really exploit kind of the weaknesses in this specific zone. Like you said, like we have some guys who can get hot, uh, but I'm looking at the numbers like, there have only been a handful of games where Battle uh, hit, like, I'd say, like, hit three and made over 50%. Um, the most notable ones were Georgetown, where he was hit for 11. Um, BC, he was 5 for 10. Florida State, he was 5 for 9. And, like, we saw Brissett, uh, obviously, basically kept us in the game against uh, UNC when he was 5 for 7. But, you know, he only just started pulling on pulling up from three on a consistent basis, like, midway through the year. And Howard, same thing. Like, these aren't guys like who, you know, every couple of a huge game from three, it's, it's pretty sporadic. So it's just not a thing we really bank on where other teams can a bit more. Um, but overall, like I, I agree. I, I, it's, it's troubling because for this upcoming game, I just said it on PTI today, like we're going to have to outstore Duke. Like it's not going to be, we can just sit back and rely on our defense to hold them to 60 again and, or under 60 and, and uh, get there. So, I mean, I think we are going to need some, you know, one of our better offensive performances of the year. Um, and it could happen. Like uh, we haven't really gotten a great one in a while, and we keep on winning. I think we've won five of our last six games. So I mean, the Wake Forest um, game, I'd say, it's definitely working there. Some 
I think offensively against Wake, we seem to do something right. I don't think that, you know, lobs to Chukwu are necessarily going to be in the cards, but, um, you know, Dolzhai scoring somewhere in the 10 to 12 range is a nice start. Um, Arizona State, we didn't shoot poorly in that game, admittedly. I mean, 40% is still not great, but it's better than, like, what we've done for the most part this year. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think – you can't replicate the, the, the shooting – the awful shooting performance against Michigan State um, or TCU for that matter. Um, and expect to win this game. I think, I know I said this before the Michigan State game, I I thought 65 was the number for us to have a chance. I think it is, I think even more so in this game, 65 has to be the number here uh, for us to be able to hit if we have any shot of winning this game. I buy that. Uh, I mean, if the the zone is going to keep on doing what what it's been doing, um, then, you know, we'll we'll have a shot against Duke. Like, I think they are also more so uh, than Michigan State even, um, probably well designed to beat it not only because K sees it all the time, but um, they just have, like, unique talents. Uh, Carter and Badley are both really scary and can can do damage from from both, you know, levels of the offense. Um, obviously, you have Grace Nat Hot. Um, Gary Trent Jr. shoots over 40% from three. They're not actually, they're not as good a three-point shooting team as some of these other Duke teams have been, but they just do have uh, four or five guys who can all hit that from back, back there pretty uh, pretty consistently. So only really like two guys in the rotation are, are not three-point threats at all. So um, I don't know that that's going to be due to strategy, but they can get guys over in the short corner, and I, I do think their ball movement will be much better than what we saw from Michigan State. Oh, 100%. I, I think that, you know, it's weird too because I feel like Michigan State was the best passing team in, in the country going into that game. And I just, I was, again, just perplexed by the lack of it um, throughout the game, and especially late, where it was really just a bunch of, you know, just, it, it reminded me sometimes of Syracuse's offense, just chucking it around the, the perimeter and then jacking up a three with three seconds to go. Um, there wasn't much effort put into, you know, driving the lane and all that. I think, uh, I, I, I do think that, like, between passing, um, the ability to definitely out-rebound, Syracuse is going to help them just like it helped Michigan State stay in that game despite the poor shooting. Um, and then again, it's going to be uh, Carter and Bagley kind of inside. If they're able to cause foul trouble, and you saw like even without a team um, really pressing us inside, it's very easy to kind of goad Chukwu and, and Sidibe in particular um, into fouls. Dolzhai just kind of picks them up casually. Um, and then occasionally, you know, one or one of Howard and, and, uh, and Battle do too. Like, I, I just we don't have I don't think we have the bodies to keep up and, and, and again like Coach K is not stupid he, he's probably gonna see what he can get away with um, in, in the middle of this zone right away um, because you know worst case you figure out you, you pick up a foul or, or, or two early and, and then you still have plenty of bodies to plug in from there if you're him um, that, that's the worst case scenario the best case scenario is you know you you exploit something right away um, and, and you also again you know create some critical foul trouble for Syracuse, which really can't afford any with only like 10 fouls to give at the center position. Yeah. I'm not looking forward to uh, a situation in which we have to have Moyer or Dolajai play center because uh, I can only imagine what Marvin Badley will be able to do to them. And that's no fault of, uh, of theirs. It's just not a position that either of them is, is designed to be in. Um, and I do think that we will see, uh, we will see K go after them pretty early because between Badley and Carter, um, they have uh, a lot of offensive, uh, you know, what could be two pretty pretty nasty offensive mismatches, especially if you know 
if we do get uh, Chuka out of the team early with foul trouble. Um, I'm interested to see what Coach Tay's strategy is with guys like Badley and Carter. Um, last game, primarily, he used Badley over the top and through just an uh, inordinate amount of lobs. Um, I do wonder if this time, given not that not that much changed since last time we played them, but uh, given the lack of depth on the inside, if he'll go to more of a, a normal like post up offense to try to get foul trouble on um, Chuku and, and Sidibe, because while those lobs worked really well, um, you're not exposing them to a high risk of like fouling there. You're just making them look bad. And uh, I guess either one works, but um, if they can get, uh, especially Chuka out of the game, like that really opens things up for, for badly and harder to do a lot of work on the inside. Oh yeah. hundred percent. I, I think that it's, well, like I said, Kay's not stupid. I think he's going to uh, really attack this zone and he's probably going to attack it the same way to the last game. I think we're going to, we can account for some of the lobs. I just don't know how much of it. Um, again, especially with knowing that Sidibe's probably got limited leaping ability. I know we haven't really had to see him test that much. I'm sure he has uh, limited leaping ability. Chuku doesn't seem to be able to do much of that without fouling. Same with Dolajai. Um, and also, you know, we're going to have to feel it out a little bit in the beginning of this game, too. Um, refs at the last game were on both sides. Um, very tight. I felt calling that game. There were definitely some questionable calls on both ends of the floor. Uh, some minimal contact. It was called fouls. Um, so I'd very much like to see, you know, kind of early on, hopefully not at, at the risk of us getting into foul trouble, but, you know, just how much teams are going to be able to get away with. Because obviously the more physical the game can be um, and more, um, I guess, scrappy the game can be, that benefits us in some ways, but it also benefits Duke because they're bigger. Uh, then they're going to be able to kind of knock us out of the way a little bit on the offensive glass, which is going to be problematic as we saw against Michigan State. Yeah, uh, overall, like, I think just the, the resounding theme here is, like, while uh, being able to pick up a win against a team like Michigan State, which, which you know, entered the season as a title contender like Duke is and was very talented and has two uh, lottery pits like Duke does, like, there's just a, a vast difference in what we expect from um, Duke to be able to do it into his own uh, just steam-wise and, and knowledge-wise versus, like, what Izzo clearly wasn't able to do and and I guess with a one in five record hasn't been able to do against his own in his tenure at Michigan State against Bayheim. So, um, you know, hopefully we can we can look for a you know a spark here again. And you can look at 2016. The Virginia team was was a number one seed, and they play the zone every year, and and they've attacked it quite well uh, overall. And we made some adjustments there and and put another team in a different way. I don't I don't know that we can expect a, a press since we haven't really used it that much this year. Uh, we don't have the dart depth for it, but, um, you know, we probably were saying similar things heading into that, t- in, into that UVA game, um, which obviously is a very different type of team. Right. Um, but a similar, you know, outlook and a similar, uh, you know, if you look at Vegas, I'm sure the odds are about the same. Like, I, I, I bet we were double-digit uh, underdogs in that one, too. So anything can happen. I mean, <laughs> again, like, if we've learned anything from this tournament, especially, like, you can't just like assume that uh, that people will be able to other team will step up and play you know the perfect game and uh, that Syracuse won't be able to hit some shots. So, and I do think we are uh, not that we've been good against the zone for for years now, but I do think we are probably due for like a slightly better offensive game at some point here. Um, I can't imagine we're going to keep on shooting thirty percent. I think something in the range of what we did against Arizona State, which is shoot forty percent, and it was still kind of bolstered by um, you know a late push. Um, something in that range would be great. I Duke is a, a very good zone defense team. 
we don't necessarily have the personnel to attack a zone, at least the way Duke can. Um, I think we're going to have to try out some, some different and new things. I think this is where, you know, having five days in between games is really helpful. Um, you know, maybe we see some different offensive sets. Um, I would hope we do just because I don't think, you know, isolation is going to work necessarily. Again, like we said, that the three-point shooting isn't something we can rely on. So I hope that there's other ideas on how we're going to be able to get this ball inside. Because, yeah, if there, there's simply no way that if, if SU shoots under 40% that they can win this game. Um, last game was uh, was an anomaly in, in terms of you know beating a good team while shooting incredibly poorly um, and like we said earlier um, you can't really expect Duke to be able to put up the same uh, god-awful numbers from the field that Michigan State did I think a lot of those shots that Duke took last time were, were much better quality shots than what Michigan State was taking they just happened to have like I think probably their worst shooting game of the year but um, they were also smart enough to not take 38 threes I think they were two for 18 which isn't good but um, no, they missed they their were, first 16, I think. Yeah, and some of those were open, and you get open shots. I mean, the zone isn't isn't designed to, like, prevent all open shots, right. but, like, you get them, you have to take advantage, and, and Duke does generally shoot much better than that. Um, the problem was uh, we stretched out a bit, and then it, it vacated the, the back line, and that's where they were able to uh, just eat us alive with Bagley, who was in his first game back, so... Um, I do expect it to look a little different. I, I, I think Bayham will make adjustments, and we're not going to let them beat us the same exact way that uh, that they did a couple of weeks ago. No, of course not. And, and, and you know, Bayheim, like any good coach, is going to be able to make those changes. And, and even in a loss, is going to be able to at least make it look different in the process. Um, you know, you, you saw it a couple of years ago against Virginia. Um, the games looked similar, but, you know, SU applied the pressure. Um Virginia, as we saw, I guess, a little bit against UMBC this year, um, simply wasn't able to handle um, kind of a, a change of style, a change of pace uh, once they were down. Virginia's not a great team playing from down, especially once, like, the, the tempo of the game starts changing on them and the style of play. Like, it, you know, it was impressive for U- this year UMBC to be able to impose their will on, on the pace of the game. But, you know, in the opposite fashion, that's something that Syracuse is able to do on teams too. And, like, Duke can play ugly, but they don't necessarily want to. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting. Like they're not, they're not like Michigan State, where where they're going to play right into our hands. And, and, and even if the zone is shutting them down to a certain extent, they're still not going to sit around and and let the clock bleed out and and you know just loft up shots with two seconds left on the clock. They're going to push. They're going to try to run a little bit, um, and, and they're going to try to you know make sure. I mean, I'm sure Kay's been practicing this all week. I'm sure they're going to do everything they possibly can to prevent Syracuse from dictating this tempo because, like, Michigan State, like, kind of lulled it, allowed SU to lull this game into into a really slow affair pretty early last weekend. And I feel like, you know, Duke is going to be dead set on, on making sure that that doesn't happen um, and doesn't repeat the mistakes that, uh, you know, were committed by each of the last three opponents Syracuse has faced. Yeah, that's, like, the one interesting thing. And I don't think we – well, we even talk about Michigan State here because we – you know, last recorded before the tournament started, um, or I guess after the Arizona State game, but before the the actual tournament started. Um, Michigan State doesn't really play at tempo, which definitely played into our hands. They're actually 231st in tempo. We are 345th, which is near the total bottom, but they're definitely in like the back third of all teams. And they just, I mean, I, I imagine if they were comfortable playing at tempo at all, they would have. It's just they never even attempted to change things up, and, and they played right into Syracuse's hands, like you said. Um, Duke is, is 86, though they're, they're not like, uh, I mean, I'm looking at the teams that are still left. There's actually aren't too many super uh, high-paced teams. Florida State's the, the fastest, but um, 
they do play at more of an up-tempo pace, and I think they are probably better equipped to, to change things up and, and get us out to run a bit. Um, the things that North Carolina did uh, in the ACC tournament that like totally took us out of the game, um, I don't think Duke has the same uh, type of roster. Um, I think they're more talented. I don't think they have like the same players that are going to play at a breakneck speed and, and uh, throw those like crazy double teams at, at battle like UNC did, but I think they are definitely better equipped to get out and run, and that's just a thing that Michigan State didn't try and, and clearly uh, was not comfortable even even Thinking getting close to. <laughs> yeah, like they have a very good offense. Like their offense is, is one of the top uh, 15 in the country in, in efficiency, but they very much play a half-court game, and that's the type of team that uh, that definitely plays better more into Syracuse's hands. Duke can store however. Like they, they have the number three offense in the country, and they can store fast or slow. Um, so it's definitely going to be uh, it's definitely going to be interesting. Um, as is seeing if we can finally crack his own. Uh, and I, I don't know. I, I, I am interested also to see what uh, what the the newfound offensive abilities of Mar Dolzhai, um can do against a two three because with that little jumper he's he's now hitting pretty consistently. Like he really seems like a guy who could do some damage from the free throw line. And he's also a a, a pretty gifted passer. I know he's made some really nice ones in the post. Um, I wonder if it's going to be him or Brissette that that's doing most of the stuff from there or a combination of both. But uh, I, I am interested to see now that he has these, like these offensive sea legs under him from the last few games if Dolajai becomes kind of a focal point in, in getting uh, that zone collapsed and, and trying to make some things happen. Yeah. I mean, we didn't really have, you know, Dolajai, the offensive player available to us last time out uh, against Duke. So I, I am very curious too, to see what he can do, um, offensively, that 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 fifteen footer is is pretty dangerous. Um, I I've been a big fan of it. I know you have too. Uh, seeing him kind of put that up, even with marginal amount of consistency, um, is great. I, I think if, if like I said earlier, if he can score ten to twelve, I think that's a great start. Um, as long as it's not you know taking away from touches from from any of you know Battle or, or Frank or O'Shea. I feel like in these last three games, the one the one of the big things we haven't had is like. We haven't had three players really like rise to the occasion. We've had two uh, multiple times, but I don't think we've had three, um, and, and that's really going to be you know key to what we were discussing earlier about you know just how many points Syracuse has to score. I think if Dolja, even if Dolja scores eight, um, if you can get at least if you can get ten to fifteen out of Frank, uh, Tyus, and O'Shea, I, then I like our odds. Um, I think we still need to score more points than, than what that total I just laid out was, but um, I think it's a nice start um, towards Syracuse at least being able to compete with a team that, uh, you know, like we've mentioned, has just a, a very lengthy complement of athletes and, and guys that they can kind of interchange and, and, and really, again, continue to push the pace on us. Yeah, fun fact, I, I, when you brought that up, um, I looked uh, in games that that Dolajai has scored eight or more points. Syracuse is nine and two. Huh. I don't yeah. think this is like breaking news. Like it's better when you have more players scoring. But um, that like specific number that you just kind of tossed out there, like there there's something to him. Like I think eight's like a good barometer for like oh he was an offensive factor in the game versus like oh he just like finished some bunnies. Right. Um. Yeah. So nine and two, and the two losses were the bunnies game. And um, I think the Florida – nope, Florida State, he was scoreless. Uh, he actually scored at nine in Virginia in the regular season, in the, the uh, 59-44 game. That is weird. Though I feel like, yeah, in general, um, his involvement is probably going to predicate some sort of success. 
Yeah, we need them. I mean, we we need we need our guards to probably play uh, across the board like some of their best. Like they just can't be shooting like obviously battles hit some big shots, but like we can't have like a couple of like four for fifteen games where even if they get to the line a few times, like their efficiency numbers are way down. And then we just need one. We need the two guards and Brissette, you know, who's a, a wing. Um, to all have like among their better games, and I think we need someone else to chip in like an eight or ten point game and go from there. Whether it's it's you know Chuku getting uh, free against Badly, who is not a very good defender, um, or Dolzhai doing something, or Matt Moyer turning into UConn Matt Moyer, um, which I don't expect. <laughs> but I think these are the things we need to piece together, and then we we'll, we'll we'll have a shot at another big upset plus another like poor shooting game from Duke. Please yes. Um, all right, Dan, why don't we talk a little uh, halftime and, and some uh, beer consumption? Sounds good to me. What are you, uh, what, what, what beverages were you imbibing down in, uh, down in South Carolina? Um, let's see, last, since we last spoke, I think uh, it was mostly just like Guinness and stuff because it was St. Pat's. But uh, I did have uh, Son of a Peach by RJ Rockers Brewing, which uh, is down there somewhere. I'm not sure if it's in South Carolina or just... Yeah, it's in Spartanburg, uh, which is really delicious uh, peach-flavored fruit beer. Um, I had an American Kolsch story by River Rat, which is right in Columbia. Um, really cool brewery to visit, um, and their Kolsch is really solid. Just good beers across the board there. Um, and then I had some Abita. I had some other local stuff, but uh, and not a lot of like the, the normal Irish nonsense. Fair enough. I, uh, I'm firmly anti-St. Patrick's Day and any holiday that tells me to drink, but I uh, let's see what I had. Uh, from Community, I had the other bottle of uh, Oak Mosaic IPA that I had in my fridge. That's from down in Texas. Um, had uh, Cigar City High Lies actually fresh in California now. So very uh, nice. Yeah, I've seen I've seen that getting around a lot recently. I I hope the White Oak gets out to you at some point because that that thing's I haven't seen it in a while, but really I'm, delicious. I'm sure it's next. And this is out there. They're brown ale. Um, they have like a pale ale that's out here. Um, I'm sure some other stuff will get out here. Um, but yeah, I mean, Highlight's great fresh. So I saw that. And it was one of the fresher things on the shelf. And I think it was only like 10 bucks for a six-pack. So, I mean, around here, that's, that's pretty good at this point. So I was happy to grab that. Um, from Celador, um, around here, had a Berlinerish uh, Blend 3. It's a Berliner Weiss. Had a, from McKellar, a Windy Hill, a New England-style IPA. Had a Tartar Darkness at Raspberry and Cacao from uh, the brewery. And uh, then I closed out uh, Saturday's uh, beverage consumption with a Beechwood foam top. So nothing crazy, but a nice list. Yeah, can't complain. Nope. All right. So, Dan, I think we talked a lot about Syracuse versus Duke already. Um, how do you see this one kind of turning out? Um, well, I, I picked against us in the TCU game and the Michigan State game, so I, I don't know why I would change my winning strategy here. I think we're going to get a game that's probably, I'd say, a little closer in the scoreboard, but but stylistically fairly similar to the last one. I think Syracuse throw a little more. Um, I think Duke will probably score a little more, too. Um, I'm going to go uh, with Duke, although 62 to 55. Still low scoring, though. Yeah, I think we'll, I think we'll hold them. I, I just don't think it'll be quite as uh, quite as much as, as last time. Although I started sixty last time, so it's it's similar. I think our zone's just rolling. Um, I think we have a lot of confidence. I think we'll score a little more and make it closer. But ultimately, I think Duke will win out since they are very talented and whatnot. All right, 
I'm going to go with uh, 68 to 60. I think Duke wins. Syracuse covers the spread, which is now 11 and a half. Um, I think that, you know, like you said, I think the orange shoot a little bit better. I think the defense maybe gives up a little bit more, uh, mostly because of just how good Duke is. I think Duke's able to get at least one of the two bigs in foul trouble um, early on, which kind of leaves things a little shaky. And if it's Chukwu, even worse, because he's a much better defender than Sidibe is. I think we're, we're I think we're going to acquit ourselves well enough that that there's going to be no questions that we we put in the effort, tried really like you know gave Duke everything we had. I mean that's not a surprise for for Syracuse fans given how this team has played all year. But for for outsiders, I think they're looking for if Syracuse does lose to Duke, you know what is that what is that distance? And and, and I don't think that's a fair judge of of, of deservedness or anything like that. There's going to be a lot of people who kind of draw that narrative around it. And if Syracuse loses by, let's say, God forbid, like 15, um, there's going to be a very different story about how the Syracuse team season ended um, from national folks waiting to kind of pounce versus, uh, you know, what happens if SU loses a tight game where they still got to play their style and Duke just happened to hit a couple more shots. Um, I hope I'm wrong. Um, but, but yeah, I, I do think that Duke wins this one. Yeah, I am. Mean, well, you know, I don't think anyone's going to rake us over the coals for that, that prediction based on on everything that we've seen this year. But uh, again, like none of us thought we'd beat Virginia two years ago. And I don't think very many of us thought we were beating Michigan state. So bring it, bring it on, bring on the, the happy surprises again. I will be very happy for, uh, to tell everyone how wrong I was for the third game in a row. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. Um, I actually picked us to be TCU at least. Um, but Dan, if we are to beat Duke and I'm not saying we are, um, who would you rather face between Kansas and Clemson? Uh, Clemson. I mean, we beat them already. Um, and we played Kansas and lost by 15. <laughs> I think that's – I know Clemson is, is a good team. But, um, I mean, I, I've watched both those teams, and I don't think they particularly showed uh, a great aptitude for beating um, Kansas. Uh, I don't know if they, they you know, they did get red hot, and they have uh, more guard talent, I think. Um, so yeah, I would rather take Clemson, but again, this is going to be like, you know, if we're dead to the elite eight, like it's, it's such gravy at this point that I'll take anyone. And I think if we beat Duke, like we can certainly beat either of those teams. Yeah, I'd agree. I know, uh, I don't know if you saw my post today and I did this back in 2016 too, just kind of ranking the three teams, uh, sharing the sweet 16 with us in our region and kind of who we'd rather face most and least, um, last time around, I ranked them out as, um, Iowa State first, then it was Virginia, then Gonzaga. We had to face Gonzaga and Virginia. We beat both. This time around, I said we'd rather face Clemson the most, um, and then Kansas, and then Duke. Um, Some people actually said they'd rather face Kansas over Clemson, if only because Clemson's been playing really well of late. Um, And Kansas, we kind of faced early in the season when the defense wasn't as locked in. Um, and, you know, we didn't have Dolajai at the same time. Like, while I agree with that concept, we already faced Clemson very recently and beat them and shut them down. Um, it doesn't mean that they've necessarily learned enough to get over that hump. But Kansas, on the other hand, like, yes, it was mostly because one player was able to get hot from three. However, um, like, it's not as if Kansas has been playing poorly of late. Um, so it's, it's hard to just discount you know their season and what they were able to put together as a one seed um, just because you know we faced them when the defense wasn't necessarily as put together um, and again we already beat Clemson so it's, it seems like a moot point to me 
Yeah, uh, I think this one's uh, pretty cut and dry in terms of just choosing between those two based on how things went. Um, granted, that, plan- that Kansas game, I think, was a little closer than the final score indicates. It like was. We, we, hung, we hung with them pretty well in the second half, and we actually um, were only outscored by two in the second half, but they... Uh, they did they enough in that first ran. half run. We were missing shots. We allowed them to lull us into a bit of a three-point shooting contest at one point. Um, and, and that's really what did. I mean, Kansas admittedly like doesn't have size, and Clemson doesn't have a ton either. But like Kansas can lull us into a game that we can't afford to play. And Clemson, I mean, Clemson has, I think, a better defense um, for sure than Kansas is. But I also think that Clemson, Clemson's okay with playing our style of basketball, and that becomes a problem very quickly against us. Yeah, you also have. Uh... The fact that, I mean, Graham scored 35 in that game, but you also have Gerald Vick, who scored 20, and I don't think we would keep Malik Newman at two points again. He's been uh, one of the more improved players during the course of the year. And uh, Sfi Mateluk uh, didn't have a huge game, but he's kind of like a, a built-in zone buster. Um, granted, like we've, we've said this whole time, like shoot, gunning from three uh, is not the, the optimal way to do it, but Kansas is a pretty... Um, they have a lot of weapons who can score from, that, from down there, so... Um, I, I this wouldn't be the team I want to see. Uh, Clums, on the other hand, like they have good guard play as well, but um, it's not the same level of talent as what Kansas has, even if they might be a little deeper. Although they've been dealing with injuries, so I think that's even like a a coin flip in terms of depth. Hundred percent agree. Um, Dan, why don't we go out to the full bracket here, uh, and then we can kind of loop back around to Syracuse at the end. Um, how is your bracket doing, particularly? Um, it's one of those fun things where you look at my bracket and it looks like a disaster, and then I'm first or second in all my bracket pools <laughs> because I have Villanova alive, and that's, like, that's, enough. That's worth its weight in gold. Um, they're my only Final Four team left, and I have them winning the whole thing. Um, and I also picked up a lot of points on people because I nailed the Loyola-Nevada matchup. I am very jealous of you. I lost my faith in Loyola. Uh, after the first round, I thought there was no way they were going to be able to beat Tennessee. I was wrong, obviously, and now I actually think Loyola could make the Final Four um, pretty easily, actually. I, I think either of those teams did. I have Nevada winning. Um, I don't feel great about it now, but um, and that's in my bracket. Like I right. think if I pick today, I'd probably pick Loyola, but I think either of those teams could beat Kentucky. I buy that. I still think like, it's funny, too, because I picked Kentucky originally in this bracket, and then I changed my mind. Um, and then I changed my mind again after the DeAndre Hunter loss, um, and I'm glad I did that because my original uh, championship game was Virginia versus um, Duke, and it ended up being North Carolina Duke, so really not much better result <laughs> for me. I already lost both of my Final Four teams on that side. I still had Villanova and Duke on the other. Um, that makes me a little bit of a disloyal idiot. I am rooting against my bracket at the moment, but... Um, I'm like oddly, I'm oddly not rooting for my bracket anyway at this point because anytime I pick a team I hate, like Duke, um, it's always a, it's always a bit of a balance for me of uh, of how much do I want my bracket to do well versus how much do I want a team that I don't hate to win. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, at this point, I would like to win some money. I don't know what, how feasible it actually is once we get past like this weekend because I, I did pretty well to this point, but then a lot of the teams I have going far are now out. Um, I yeah. I had. I had UNC in the championship game. I had Arizona in the Final Four, which I had switched from Virginia. So after the Arizona loss, I was very mad. And then after the Virginia loss, I was like, you know what? Okay. <laughs> this is <laughs> fine. <laughs> <I'm worse. laughs> um, 
and I had uh, Michigan State, which, uh, in retrospect, I wanted to pit Duke, and for some reason I was like, oh no, Michigan State, you know, they have, like, slightly more experience, and they're also very talented, so I, I made the folly of picking Michigan State to go to the Final Four instead of Duke, and I just, that's like my one big bracket regret. That's fair. I, yeah, I think my biggest bracket regret is is not going another round with Loyola, um, not believing the gut feeling I had that Kentucky was going to get to the Final Four, and then not going with Gonzaga in the West. All things that I like actually had on paper and then changed my mind about. This has been Bracket Regrets, your, your <laughs> annual your annual second weekend of the tournament uh, podcast uh, feature. This is true. Um, so looking at the field right now, like who do you think, brackets aside, um, who do you think is is your final four right now? Um, oh, I'd still ride with Kentucky. I just think their yeah. talent is going to ultimately. I, I just think that's the that's the smart choice. Like, I think Loyola or Nevada could beat them. I think Kansas State could beat them if Wade is playing. Um, could you imagine if Davidson had been able to beat Kentucky? What that like bracket would look like right now, like the region. Oh my God! Just be the, the nine seed being the highest. <laughs> like right now, we've already we've already. It's the first time in how long that since uh, a top well, four seed. This is the first time ever that it's been. It's the first time ever. Yeah, the top that, four seed didn't the top take four a, seeds are all out. Oh wow! I knew it had been a while. I didn't know it had been like in like the history of the world. Um, yeah, I, I, I'll lean Kentucky just because, like, as much as I, I I would love to see Nevada or Loyola, I think they're both really fun. I just think Kentucky's talent is it just makes them the right choice. I'm going to go Villanova. I'm going to sit for that. They look really good. Uh, they've looked really good most of the year. West Virginia is an interesting challenge, although I think if any team's equipped to beat the press, um, it's probably a team with such strong guard play like Villanova. Um, and Purdue without Haas, I think they're. I, I, I get the argument that they might not be that much worse off since Harms is a better defensive player, but I think you, you like to have both those guys available. Um, and the fact they were able to keep a 7-foot-2-plus die on the floor at all times for 40 minutes was a, a big, uh, was a nice thing to have. Um, and just being able and, and having to switch to like a, line, uh, a situation where you're now playing some small ball when you just didn't do it all year just seems very tough. So uh, I'm going to go with, with Villanova. Um, and then uh, I'm going to go with Duke in our region. Um, I just think they're the most complete team and they're playing really well. Uh, I think the uh, – what's the other one? Where am I missing? The Midwest? Uh, no, we're the Midwest. The West. The West is, is – Another garbage missing. region. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna go A and M. I think they're just. I could. I mean, the, the for the last four years, a seven or higher has made the final four, which is weird. Um, I think this is probably the most wide open. I think literally all four of these teams could make it. Yeah. Um, Michigan is is very good. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, Florida State is playing super well. Um, the Demons Mizzou, like they just looked like they didn't even belong in the same court. And then obviously the nice comeback and Xavier. Um, Ice Gonzaga is probably the smart pit just because they're like, you know, they've done it before. Although this is a fairly new Gonzaga team. Well, um, there's going to be a bit of a home, year. not home court necessarily, but uh, Gonzaga is going to show up. Like, yeah, I imagine there'll be a lot of Michigan fans there too, just because there's Michigan fans everywhere. There are. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think A&M was just so impressive against UNC, which was a team that I felt like really good about at least going pretty far in this tournament. Yeah. Um, and their, their, their low post, uh, presence is just such a unique thing for, uh, what this you know tournament has been with, uh, 
I don't know. I, I just feel the best out of them, for, but that's, I think, the most wide open of the regions. Um, I know I said that, like, nothing in the South would super surprise me. But, but I, Kentucky's I think, still know, the class of that region. Yeah, Kentucky's still definitely, like, the the number one pick. And that one, I think you can make a... Florida State's probably the least likely, but they're playing really well. I think you can make a reasonable case for all for all four, and I think at least three... Um, A&M seems to be the trendy pick, so that probably scares me away more than anything, but... Like, Michigan and Gonzaga were both, like, fairly trendy picks heading into the tournament. They're both names. They both uh, have the tournament experience. A&M's playing really well, and Florida State, you know, just beat the number one seed. So I think that's the most intriguing one. And then the other three I feel more uh, solid about. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I think A&M's probably the the solid pick there, too. I had, I mean, I'm super mad at Michigan because I had Houston beating them. Um, And then, obviously, you know, nonsense at the end uh, derailed that. I don't really. I didn't really buy Michigan to begin with, and definitely didn't after that. Um, a And M, yet like you said, was just so goddamn impressive against UNC. Um, I think the Zags are going to be able to handle Florida State pretty well, um, and then I, I, I could see I could see either the Zags or A and M advancing, but uh, probably give me A and M. Um, Duke is the clear cut uh, favorite coming out of our region. Um, I would have entertained Purdue. Um, I still think, like you had mentioned, I think West Virginia can challenge Villanova a little bit, and that's going to be an interesting matchup to see. But um, I think you probably end up with Nova beating Texas Tech in the, in the regional final um, because Purdue is going to be shorthand a little bit without Haas. And then definitely give me Kentucky out of, uh, out of the south bracket. I'd love to see Loyola. And please, Loyola, if you, if you want to if you want to mess this up, feel free to do it um, because I, I would love to see an 11 seed that I've been supporting for at least the last four months. Um, if not longer, in the case of Syracuse, uh, make the Final Four, um, and I, I think it'd be it, it'd be a little fun piece of fan service for me and Dan if you uh, if if the Ramblers would, would get their asses to the Final Four. Yeah, it'd be nice to have something to root for. Uh, <laughs> Any, anything with Villanova, little... Duke, Kentucky, three teams that I literally hate. <laughs> Michigan would be like my experience of the 2013 Final Four. Michigan fans, very basketball fans, very much like we went to Michigan. Now we really care about this all of a sudden. Um, oh boy. My favorite. I know, I know Zags are, are probably your least favorite. Um, I'm just telling you that, like, Michigan fans came out in full force in 2013, and that's I surprising. was not convinced that any of them had ever watched a basketball game before. That's that's not surprising at all. And I'd say, like, given my own Final Four attendance, like, Wisconsin fans are my favorite fans that I've encountered at the Final Four. UNC fans were fine they were just like your typical Southern nice to your face, but really talking shit about you behind your back. Um, Nova fans, I feel like are different now than they were before that win. Um, Oklahoma fans were happy to be there. Uh, trying to think who else. Uh, Duke fans are Duke fans, obviously. I, when I was, any, any I talked to were talking about how great the Notre Dame football game was, the literally... Uh, <laughs> that fall, <laughs> and so and literally the first thing they mentioned to me was was how much better Notre Dame was than Syracuse at football, which which was all you need to know about most Duke fans that live in the New Jersey New York area. They also probably told you about how classy Derek Jeter was and how Kobe's the greatest NBA player. To be of all honest, time. they did. They were talking about Derek Jeter. Like I I I was I was in awe. I said this is like the one time that like an internet thing, <laughs> like like just like played itself out in full in real life. Uh, <laughs> Kentucky fans were the worst fans I've ever encountered anywhere. Um, just uh, and this was I was there for like the undefeated season, uh, Final Four, and like that was just miserable. Like those people were just oh my god. 
I, I, I just never saw anything like it in my life. Yeah, see, in mine, like, it was really just the Michigan fans that bothered me. Um, Wichita State fans, like, turned out really well for oh, what they are, and, like, they were, like, pretty fun. I well, they knew it was a once-in-a-lifetime, they knew it was a potential once-in-a-lifetime thing. I think that's why, like, Nova fans showed up for for the 2016 one, because it was, like, it's not a, it's not a regular thing, and you're, and, and the people that are fans are gonna, like, you know, relish it a little bit. Right, and then Louisville was by far the most well-represented that year, but Louisville fans, like, watch faster, like, obviously look at, like, any of the ratings. Um, obviously, you know, you could complain about, like, Louisville's a program and what's going on there, but, like, their fans, A, we have, like, at the time we had that, like, outgoing Big East. I don't remember if they were already officially joining the ACC. We This was our final season in it, so I'm not sure if they knew yet, but, like, we had some kind of Big East kinship. Actually, I think we did know. I think I think we already knew that Louisville would be in the ACC yeah. at some point. There, at that there, point. Yeah, there was a little bit of uh, ACC cheering, if, uh, if memory serves. Yes. Yeah, and we were already officially going the following year. So, yeah, there was some, like, of that AC, Big East to ACC kinship. I think it was actually really new that they were definitely going. Yeah. Um, and then the Michigan fans were just really annoying. So, like, Louisville and Syracuse fans, like, are obviously basketball fans. Michigan fans are not. Wichita fans, happy to be there. Um, and we're fine. Um, but yeah, that, that was my experience. So that's a really weird foursome, I think, overall. Yours is a little more... I mean, I know Wisconsin's not always there all the time, but like... Wisconsin having, fans like, showed the hell up. Because like, after... Like, good for them. They were play, I mean, because that was a weird Final Four, too. Because like, everybody but Duke, and even like Duke fans get there pretty easily. Um, everybody but Duke were within driving distance. So it was much more of a driving Final Four than usual. Because it was MSU, who's like those fans, like, I feel like they just like didn't really show up that time, but because like they were like lucky to be there, but not like expecting so anything. They were fans. like a seven seed or something? Yeah. Okay. So like that was MSU, Duke, Wisconsin, and Kentucky. So right. like in Indianapolis. So three of the fan bases just drove there. So it was a really like car heavy city that weekend, oddly. And even like the Carolinas aren't that hard. It's not that hard to get to Indiana from there, like sneakily. Yeah, sneakily, and plus, like, you know, with Duke fans, like, it's not like they don't live everywhere else, too. <laughs> it's not like they actually live in North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely, like, weird, because then after, uh, after Wisconsin knocked them off that night, and you saw, like, an entire arena of, like, you know, people in Duke gear and Michigan State gear, like, rooting actively against Kentucky, um, you saw Kentucky fans literally, like, selling their tickets to Wisconsin fans on the way out the door. And, like, the city emptied out. Like, the day in between the Final Four and the championship game, there was nobody in Indianapolis. Because Kentucky fans had descended on that place like never before to celebrate what's supposed to be this, like, you know, crowning achievement. And they all had the undefeated T-shirts. Like, they had counted every chicken before it hatched. And, and it was great to see, like, that. I mean, the same way that, like, from afar, like, seeing the Pats lose that year that they were undefeated, especially to my team, but seeing them lose was so great because everyone had, had already anointed themselves the greatest team ever. Um, Kentucky fans fleed from Indianapolis like that night, found ways to transfer their hotel rooms, and then you saw Wisconsin fans on the way out of the arena calling friends, calling family. Like, when it got, like there was nobody there on that Sunday, and then on Monday, the entire city was red. See, in that situation, I, I feel bad for the Michigan State fans because in my experience— if you're going to be the losing semifinal team, you want the two, assuming you don't have like a vested rooting interest, you want the two biggest fan bases to win because in my experience with the two biggest fan bases that are winning, Louisville and Michigan, um, we were able to essentially pay for our entire trip on just reselling our final, our championship game tickets, which was wonderful. Right. So, um, See, I, went to the champion, I went to the championship game 
both times. But even after the Syracuse one, I was really glad I went to the championship game <laughs> because that was the Villanova-UNC ending. Yeah, of course. And we would have liked to have gone to the game, but, like, we just had offers to sell our tickets for, like, more than we paid for the entire ticket package. So it was just like, well, we can just watch the game on TV at my aunt's house because it's big and now we'll make a lot of money. So I had... out. obviously UNC Villanova was not one to miss. So I think in that case, obviously Michigan Louisville was a pretty good game, but in that case, I probably would have been a little upset. I wasn't there. Yeah. I, I again, my, me and my buddy were kind of hung over. I was, I was very glad that we went. Um, very glad to see that ending, even though I was obviously rooting for UNC. I mean, obviously is an obviously for me, not as a Syracuse fan. I know how everybody else would feel about that dilemma. Um, although who knows I don't, I don't really know what everybody's feelings are on UNC or, or Villanova anymore um, but yeah and I think that, that was a fun lesson in, in how to deal with fan bases um, at the final four um, Dan anything else on Syracuse here before we wrap up I, I feel like I felt not oddly confident before the Michigan State game I felt I felt like I was happy to be there and felt confident we put up a good fight um, this time around, I feel I'm, I'm the happy to be there feeling is left, and now I'm in let's win a goddamn championship mode, which I know is a bad feeling, like for a fan that of a team that you know not shouldn't be there, but is definitely one of the last teams that like you would think would be there. I'm still kind of riding the uh, mostly happy to be there. I just think it's so improbable, even compared to the 2016 team. We've had like we've seen a million of these comparisons. I think 2016. There was more talented team. It was definitely a more offensive talented team. Um, this team is just like getting out by the sin of its teeth. Um, so like ultimately, I, I aside from just not showing up and like getting embarrassed and like getting exposed, um, I'll have a really hard time like getting too upset about whatever happens. Um, but obviously, like in the heat of the game, I'm sure like if we're down four with two minutes left, like I'll be just right in right in there wanting to win more than anything else. So, but overall, like I think based on where we came into the season with and how the season progressed, like it's hard not to be pretty happy about where we are and, and just being in the position is nice. Um, that being said, losing will suck for a bit. It might be a little less of a sting than like when we lost the semifinal in 2013 or, or how 2012 played out. But, um, you know, you never like to lose. And losing to Duke uh, so. is like extra annoying. That too. Yeah. Especially like with the, with the current tobacco road people narrative going on. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever, guys. Take your conference back. I don't give a shit. <laughs> why is that? Why is I don't get why that started up like this week. Like I get during the ACC tournament. Like I get it. Like in terms of like if it's gonna happen, I get it happening then. Well, it came back I around this week. I don't know why it came back around this week. Because like we haven't been playing Duke. Like uh, well, come well on. technically, and technically, like three of the four, three of the four teams left from the ACC are not necessarily like your traditional ACC powers either. No, I mean, Duke, I, I don't know, is Clemson even technically an original ACC team? I assume they, they might be. Well, Florida State's not. Like, no, they Florida State's not. And Clemson's, earlier a, than us, Clemson's but... an original, but like not really for anything basketball related. No, and culturally, they're not nearly the same as Duke. Right. Like, they're like a, a very football-focused, not, you know, tobacco road school um, that, you know, cares about basketball in as much as like any school does, but not like over the top. And... Florida State is just, like, is basically an SEC school in the ACC. <laughs> so, in terms of, like, what their fans are interested in and their history. So, and, you know, we're obviously the, the Johnny-come-lately, but it really doesn't make 
I don't know. The whole thing's really annoying. The fact that we've been in the league for five years now, and you know, it can't just be like, oh yeah, they're in the ACC and everything's cool. We, we're glad they're making it this far. It helps the league. Everyone gets more money, rather than it being like this affront to like basketball justice or whatever. <laughs> Never ever ends. Um, and on that note, uh, Dan, thank you as always for joining. Much appreciated. Yes, hopefully, uh, I think I said exactly this last week, like hopefully we'll still have uh, NCAA tournament to talk about next week. Um, well, if we still have NCAA tournament to talk about next week, we're going to have a lot of other things <laughs> that we're going to be saying besides just, yeah, it's great to be here. I think if we're on our way to, to the Final Four, and this is a completely hypothetical, we're not jinxing anything, we might just stream into our mics for an hour. It's going to be the biggest FU podcast ever. <laughs> we should just call like random people from the area codes of the other, uh, the old ACC schools. Yes, please. Uh, and then also the teams that we'll be playing. We should just like start <laughs> dialing college station numbers and just like yelling at them on the phone. <laughs> Ye- yelling at Nebraskans about, about the topography of the local area. The zoo's overrated. <laughs> All right. That was Dan. I'm John. Thank you everybody for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, and go orange. Go orange. Huge savings on new and previously leased furnishings. That's right, huge savings. At Court Furniture Clearance Center, choose from our wide variety of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. You'll find sofas from $199.99 and more. Everything in our 9,000-square-foot showroom is Court-certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Visit our Chandelier Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.